0: I'm JP Keating, managing partner and founder of Prochain Ventures. Supply chains are broken and we're investing in the next generation of supply chain technologies to transform them.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in and welcome to the VC Architects, the podcast where we share the real stories behind new VC fund managers and the blueprints used to make them successful. My name is Vlad Kazaku and I'll be your host today as we interview JP Keating, an investor with several decades of experience in supply chain and procurement roles across major enterprises, bringing a unique point of view on how technology can be used to upgrade our antiquated infrastructure. If you geek about picks and shovels, this is the episode for you. For more information about sharing and growing your venture fund, including show notes, highlight clips, and exclusive scenes, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TheVCArchitects, as well as on our website at TheVCArchitects.com. This episode is brought to you by Flowly, the number one choice for deal screening and network management used by thousands of investors from 50 plus different countries. Now, let's dive right in. Welcome, JP. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Really much appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with us today.
0: Thanks, Vlad. I was excited to be part of this and excited to see where the podcast is going to go. So th- thanks again for having me
1: on. Indeed. I think we're buckling up for an amazing conversation. Such an interesting background that you have and now coming into VC as an investor. And I would love to unpack a little bit on that early genesis of your interest in venture capital. And yeah. quite frankly, I would like to start with a little bit of your background. Like having spent right 20 years in various sure. supply chain and procurement roles across Multiple enterprise, right? Boeing, AB InBev, Conagra. Like, what was the motivation to go into VC investing in the first place?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, after after 20, 20 plus years at this point, I got to see a lot of things. And I got to experience a a, a lot of things within all of these different industries. I like to say I worked for five different Fortune 500s, but there was like 12 verticals in all of that. And just having the exposure to that that amount of commerce and cultures and communities and everything else, I picked up a lot of things. And I was always the super curious guy. I was never good in one particular function. And it would frustrate people to no end because I would get bored. And like, I've got to learn something new and understand how the enterprise works. How are we making money? How are we spending money? How do we operate? How do we create value? How do we keep our license to operate in society? And that fascinated me. And Because of that, I just decided I wanted to keep learning, and I kept moving and moving and moving. And then I discovered I couldn't find a job that I really liked, that I wanted to stay in for a long period of time. And I said, what can I do that allows me to work on sort of a global scale, on an enterprise scale, and provide value throughout the whole thing? And I knocked it down to like three or four jobs. And one I had been doing for a while, I didn't want to do anymore. The other one was internal audit, and I didn't want to go back to that again. The other was CEO, and I didn't think I was smart enough to do that. And then I realized I like the innovation side. Now, how do I do this on a much larger scale than just a one-to-one within a company and it just kept leading back to investor and i had gotten involved with a lot of different organizations early on in 10 12 years ago at this point when a lot of accelerators were taking off and all that and so i just fell in love with it but really what drove the whole thing and why i just kept going i was constantly trying to innovate in the companies i was working for and it just became this like I was personally and just professionally offended by the inefficiencies and the waste and the poor working conditions and the general terrible user experiences in most of these enterprises. They weren't bad companies, but the, after a while, the work was just drudgery and the systems were terrible. And I'm just visualizing money disappearing everywhere, just companies hemorrhaging money. And I got to see that firsthand. And so we didn't have a lot of transparency. Just the lack of data and understanding in supply chain was just staggering to me. A lot of the resources were just poorly deployed. It was endlessly frustrating to me. So I was always trying to fix this because it was like, let's make more money so we can do more good, right? And pay people better and make them more innovative so that they continue on the virtuous cycle here of creating as much good in society as we can through commerce. And I loved it. And so after the last few years of watching everything sort of implode around supply chain, it was just, I was called to it. (laughs) it This is the time, you know, this is our opportunity to have an impact with communities, with customers, with stakeholders, just overall society overall and that's how we landed on this we saw these supply chains are broken the tech is broken the talent is frustrated the systems need to be updated and we said we wanted to transform these for good not just to fix the physical mechanical financial problem but also fix these societal problems while we're at it and we said this is the time this is the time we're at the right age we've got the right experience we've got the right team now let's go make this happen and that's that was my motivation behind it. I wanted to do some good. It was that go, going to Jesuit schools growing up, they put that into your, you know, into your psyche, right? We're men and women for others, and there's a higher purpose and a greater good, in serving humanity. And we can do that through business. And venture is a fantastic tool to do that, if done right and done with heart. Really, is like how I like to talk about what we do.
1: And then it's hard to do it right, to do it you know, with all the right intentions and with everything that involves money. Sometimes bad apples come into it. So I commend you for oh, yeah. taking the, the value driven road in this space. So I'm curious, all this background somehow reminds me of a founder journey, right? Frustrated with big enterprise, moving from one place to another, never really finding a true home in what they're doing. So I'm just curious to understand a little bit, before you started approaching ventures, you spent some time leading all states technology and strategic ventures arm. How was that transitory role for you and yeah. why did you choose to make that career move before starting the fund?
0: Yeah. So I love corporate venture. A lot of people, not corporate venture. I loved it. And I had been trying to work in corporate venture for a long time. I was around at the very beginning of what is now or gone through iterations of Boeing ventures. And I thought it was amazing. It wasn't developed at that time. It didn't quite work the way I wanted before I left. So I wasn't able to really exploit it, but I never got rid of it. It was always in my mind because we were creating so many amazing things. And it, it wasn't really corporate venture. It was a lot of R&D kind of thing. I wasn't in the right space at the right time. I wasn't an engineer, didn't make sense. It really wasn't a business imperative back then where it is now and has changed. When I moved into other spaces and where I really liked it, where I really started leaning into corporate venture and corporate innovation is when I was with the power utility. And it was right as a lot of renewables and things were starting to happen and I just got hooked on all of this. Like, how do we make this better? How do we keep it going? And again, utilities were not very innovative at the time that I was there. So I was looking at early stage companies to be able to come in and help us with operations, help us drive some revenue, do some other things. But I was really leading up that, corporate startup collaboration at the very early stages. I was running supplier diversity programs, which and small business liaison programs, which the entire mission is to try and work with small businesses and minority and women and veteran and LGBT owned and disabled owned companies. And I realized I was doing venture work. I was out trying to find companies that could come in and provide a lot of value to us and help us serve our shareholders, our stakeholders better. And I had moved on into Conagra and There was a lot of data at the time around, and there was a lot of effort around that time around food innovation and ag tech was just starting to take off. And so I I attempted to start a tiny corporate venture outfit there so that we could invest into early brands ingredients materials things like that because one of my arguments too is i was able to solve two things here one we wanted to innovate we wanted to find new things i had a vision to be able to support these companies through all of our buying power all of our ability to co-man things and et cetera et cetera it's grand vision on the other side too is we were looking for new brands as while i was running the diversity of the supplier diversity program I realized and I found some data that like 80% of new food brands, food and beverage brands were started by minorities and women. I said, why aren't we leaning into this? And started pushing for that really hard and then started discovering some really interesting data companies out there that were providing insight and transparency that were leading the charge for smart label and all of that ingredients. But that's what solidified it for me. Again, it wasn't the right timing. You know, leadership changes, all of that, it wasn't working, but I was still doing it. And then I was looking for another company that had an established strong corporate ventures group and had a strong corporate development group and i was pulled in to work back in the supply chain group leading the small business liaison program and the supplier diversity program And when I took the role, I told them what I wanted to do. This is, I'm creating an external innovation program through the supply chain group. And we are going to become the most innovative group in the enterprise because of all the assets that we have available. And we're partnering up with corporate ventures and we're partnering up with corporate development. And we're going at this effort as an enterprise. Okay, great. So I made friends with all those folks and I was working really tightly with our corporate ventures group. And. Loved it. And then corporate things happen here and there and best laid plans start to fall apart. And I said, yeah, it's time to it's time to create something on my own with some strong partners that I love to work with and that are aligned with the same mission. And so, we, you know, we kind of bootstrapped, launched it and away we went. But I really like corporate venture and I partner with them a lot. I co invest a lot with corporate venture outfits. And the reason why I love them is that the customers for almost all these portfolio companies are big enterprises. And we have those relationships and we're able to help them build the relationships. And that's, I never particularly wanted to leave corporate, but again, it was. I can't solve these problems I want to personally solve in one organization. And so said, so, hey, this is what we got to do to go forward. It ain't an easy yeah, all, road, all, all, but it's my all mission. Roads,
1: all roads were pointing in the same direction, right? All, all roads were, were taking it towards the, starting, you know, approaching the, the mission, ventures. The,
0: yeah, the mission never changed. It just kept leaning in. I kept getting closer and closer, and the relationships kept building. And there was so much momentum that, I couldn't not do this, you know, (laughs) and it's, it's a good place to be in. So yeah, it's, it's an exciting ride, no doubt.
1: So let's lean a little bit more into Prochain Ventures and specifically the thesis of the fund. I'd like to unpack a little bit more. So, you know, in, in a few sentences, can you tell us, what are you focusing on at Prochain Ventures and how did you arrive at this insight?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we focus entirely on supply chain technology. And I, I can read you my specific thesis. We talked about VC Lab and all that before, and they put you through the thesis thing. I had to adjust a little bit. But we like to say Prochain Ventures, U.S.-based VC firm founded by investors and operators from leading Fortune 500s and corporate venture capitalists, and we invest in pre-Series A startups that are creating transformative supply chain technologies. And we leverage the partners' decades of venture and supply chain operations experience. Three 10x exits in the last two years, a diverse global network of domain experts, senior executives, founders, advisors, co-investors, and resource partners to source, support, and develop our portfolio companies. So overall, we like to say we're a specialty firm focused on transforming supply chains for good. So that's the overall big piece of it. But really, we like supply chain tech both software and hardware at the pre-seed and seed stage. Most of the things that we're investing in are going to have a valuation under $15 million. We kind of target somewhere in the 100 to 250,000 range for our first investments. We've done lower, we've done larger. We've also done some series A, but they were very novel technologies that we wanted to be a part of. So even though we're not getting substantial ownership in it. I just tell everybody, look, a coach seat on a rocket ship is just fine with us. You know, <laughs> We're, we're going to get there with the rest of them and we're going to do well. We don't have to own it. Some of them we have a higher percentage in. We do want to lead where we can. We're not at that point yet. The easiest way for most people to understand it, because supply chain can get very nebulous, very complicated. So the easiest thing for people to really understand we discovered is we look at every tech that starts at demand planning and ends at last mile delivery. And so everything in between. And you've got multiple things in between from prediction, predictive replenishment that we're looking at, inventory management, procurement, supplier management, sustainability. But then we've also got transportation platforms. We've got marketplaces. We've got Two aircraft companies, we've got an autonomous rail car company, and then our last mile delivery firm, which I did not like last mile. I never wanted to do last mile, but this one was so interesting that we decided to jump on it at a pre seed and so far and a pre seed at in January. And that has been our most successful investment since we really started deploying capital about 10 months ago. And the other thing too, we have a very strong focus on working with diverse founders and founding teams and also companies that have a sustainability charge. We're not really looking at sustainability companies, but we're looking for companies that will have major impacts to decarbonization, to sustainability, and that are doing a lot of good just through emissions reduction, waste reduction. We're really not looking at anything around carbon scrubbers or carbon sequestration or anything like that. That's too far out. That's not, that does not really fall into the supply chain aspect of it. But the big driver behind that too is when you, there's multiple data points out there to tell you, but roughly the state, I think it was Accenture that just said it, like 60% of global emissions are driven by supply chain operations. So. All we have to do is fix what we're already doing to some extent. I'll just call it the correction, the carbon correction stack. (laughs) We'll let other folks do the scrubbers and things, but we can solve for a lot of it down here with efficiency and new fuels, new transportation methods better predictive technology, better demand planning technology. So you're reducing all of that waste and all of the resources that go into the production. So that's the unique theme that we have going on there.
1: This is very interesting. And quite frankly, again, coming back to the beginning of our conversation around value-driven VC and doing venture for good and moving the world forward, it's very clearly reflected in your types of companies you back. So I'm very interested to flip the coin and speak a little bit about the LPs who back you and Mm -hmm. where that thesis alignment is on the the funders behind you. So can we get a little bit of a better understanding, like what is your LP composition? Who are the people who were attracted by this thesis in the first place?
0: Yep, yep. So we have only targeted high net worth individuals and some family offices. And I will say I'm not great at family offices. I didn't know a lot about family offices. I was not from a wealthy family, so this was a new endeavor for me. All of our investors so far have been high net worth individuals who understand supply chain, understand mobility, Understand aerospace. They all came from those backgrounds in some way. One of my best investors, one of my f- very first investors that believed in what we were doing, his wife was a was a supply chain professional, and like they understood it and they saw it and were like, "We're in, I'm like, awesome." So that's mostly what it's been, and it's a different road. You know, we're not a generalist investor. We never wanted to be one, so. We're not really leading with the typical financial return, if you will. Our returns are still, we're projecting very good double, triple digits on some of these things. But it's a—it's more of a holistic approach where we are having an impact on society. The things that we are doing are deflationary and that every time a customer will use one of these it's going to reduce their cost and increase the transparency and provide all of the value to their customers that they need it's not it's not really a nice to have these are all must-haves going forward and they provide real returns to their margins so it's not a lot of guesswork these are like hard hard savings and so enterprise will pay for hard savings. So in turn, returns work. We look for companies that will most likely get acquired. So we're not looking for, we're really not looking for IPOs in this space. It usually doesn't make any sense. So the investors that are good with the profile, with the return profiles that we're talking about and the timelines that we're working with and the portfolio construction, they like it. So one, one key element of our portfolio construction is that we want companies that provide synergies across all of the other companies. So now our portfolio over, is more valuable together than it is just one, just one thing. Like I never liked the typical VC model of we invest in 10, five, die. I don't do that. And being in the Midwest, the investors that I've got, almost all the invest- investors I have are from here. They don't really dig that either. They're willing to take a risk, but it's wait a minute, how much are we going to lose? At this I kind of look at them like I would be perfectly happy with eight triples and maybe one dies, and we're that still puts us at a top decile fund for p- performance. We have some companies that are on a unicorn path. We have like a half a dozen of them. It'd be great if they hit that, but we want to help them build solid companies that are creating cash flow and will get acquired in our lifetimes. We'll see that tech come to fruition in our lifetimes as well versus some of the other stuff out there. So our profile is a little bit different than some of the other other firms out there, but our investors like it. And so we're just going to keep pushing that direction.
1: So I actually want to spend a second on this, right? Because I'm trying to understand exactly where this came from. Was this necessarily a thesis that you came to the LPs with and realized that to some extent, you're flipping the venture model on its head and saying that some diversification and getting higher graduation rates of my portfolio to later stages and then an acquisition for smaller multiples works. Was that something that you came to the LPs with or was that something that you co-developed with the LPs because of the interest that they had in this direction? Yeah.
0: I really led with it and I had tested it for a while. And so it. the LPs that said yes, liked it a lot of the other ones that said no were looking for more of a generalist approach it is what it is but i'm protecting the downside as much as i can here too because you all have entrusted your wealth with me and that means a lot and i never wanted to be that kind of investor that was like oh yeah this looks cool and go for it I didn't like it. And I wasn't a big fan of consumer either because I had been in consumer businesses and I knew how fickle the consumers were. And I said, I would rather be the picks and shovels company. You know, we the, it doesn't matter what flavor of beer you're coming out with or what, you know, energy bar you're coming out with. It all still needs to be made by these companies in a supply chain that we're supporting. And that always gets paid. Brands come and go. And it, costs a pile of money just an insane amount of money to be able to get to scale with consumer brands and i just didn't like the profile of it you I know mean, i i didn't like investing in it so as a, i just i don't want to do that let's invest in the boring billions out there that most people don't get they it's not sexy at all but it enables all of society as we've witnessed it happen during covid guess what happened when the people go down the whole system breaks so There weren't great tools. There still aren't great tools. There's still endless problems that exist in this space. So the sheer size of this opportunity was just too hard to ignore. We got comfortable with a number of 12 trillion dollars and said the great part about what we're doing is that there's opportunity for endless innovation. We've got labor shortages that are never going to get better. We have to augment them with this technology to give the people, the current workers, the tools that they need to succeed without getting, you know, without getting overwhelmed and quitting and just perpetuating this problem. So it's not a nice to have anymore. It never really was a nice to have. You must have it to stay competitive. And then you throw in reshoring and everything else you're reshoring all over the darn place. So you've got to figure out new technology, new transportation methods to get the things where you need them to go. And with climate change, we've got to start figuring out where we're going to start growing other things too. And you have to create supply chains to get the food to the people that are there that don't exist right now. So it just kept screaming at us. Like, this is where it's at. And having the unfair advantage of understanding how these things work is what positioned us for success with our LPs. They knew that I had five Fortune five hundreds under my belt, my partners got another well, my partners have got another eight, nine, I think, at this point, plus the greater just the greater networks that we have. We were really aligned for success in this space. And being able to help support and develop those portfolio companies was actually a real thing that, that we could do. The LPs liked that. It's like, you've got the depth here versus other firms that were talking about investing in supply chain and that really resulted in more last mile delivery and 15 minute grocery delivery. We're like, that's not where the money is. That's part of the system, but it is not the whole system. You're missing, This you know, that that's last mile delivery. That's the rest of it. So, yeah, we, we couldn't, we couldn't pass it up.
1: You've identified, you're really sitting at the crosshairs of several trends. They're all working in your favor, in the favor yeah. of your portfolio company. I'm curious to understand a little bit, who were the people who said no, right? Like, oh, yeah. what, what, and, <laughs> and why, right? Like, was it yeah. more you reaching out to the wrong people? Were they not understanding yeah. the thesis and uh, the, the history yeah. and trends that were working towards your advantage or was there something else?
0: Yeah, it was a little bit of everything. Everything from, nah, we only want to do SaaS. Okay, well, you know, we make the argument like you can't be a supply chain investor unless you're working with both the digital and the physical world. It doesn't work. You're missing it. One can't solve it. You have to to solve the problems together. So (laughs) folks didn't want to have any hardware exposure because it took too long. Other folks just just didn't have the money. They were all scared. Everybody was scared. And one of my big goals here was to be as inclusive as I could for our firm. I wanted to bring in a lot of supply chain professionals out there that were accredited investors for low tickets to give them access to this asset class. And they could could also be very value-added LPs. There was opportunities for them to get engaged and what i discovered was that most of them didn't understand venture and it was taking way too long to educate and it was unfortunate they're still all my friends but they just they were not comfortable with the potential of losing their money even with a portfolio theory or a portfolio size that we're looking at which we wanted a very large portfolio. They just couldn't couldn't pull the trigger on it. And so that was a big part of our initial fundraising thesis is like, hey, we can pull a bunch of $25,000 checks from people. And I want to share the love with my professional associates and friends and colleagues. Here's a way for us to do something special. And it was a real challenge to pull that off. So I, I ended up stopping and started focusing on some other folks. But even then, it was a lot of folks didn't want to invest in funds. They wanted to do things directly. So we look at like thousands of deals a year. I said, you can't possibly touch that. I said, so if I'm bringing you deals, you should at least be part of what we're doing. It's very much a numbers game. You're trying to find the people that you think are going to fall into this and finding people are difficult, even with a huge network. And eventually you get someone that says yes. And then they're excited and they tell their friends. And you get a couple of them to say yes. And it's funny, but most of my investors were loose connections who <laughs> were just great people that I had known. I spend most of my time trying not to burn bridges over careers. I just I want to be friends with everybody. I like it. and But I just lose track of people. Life gets in the way. And some folks I hadn't spoken to in 20 years but we were tight at one point. They knew us. They knew my network. They knew the people. And they liked the space. And all of a sudden, it was, yeah, I'm in. And then the next deal was like, yeah, I'm in that one, too. And was, oh, OK. And so we're, we were building it up slowly. And so now it's uh, it's just continuing looking for those. So t- today was a, today and yesterday were great, fan- great situation like that. Got some loose connections. They love what they were doing. I think they're going to I think I pray they're going to they're going to invest with us so we can make some of these deals happen. But it uh, I haven't had a consistent no. Some of them are like, no, that's not enough or no, that's way too much. We can't possibly do that. The too small, I think, is funny sometimes. I mean, I had somebody tell me you need to have a hundred million dollar fund. I'm like, I can't deploy a hundred million (laughs) dollars. And where the hell am I going to get that? Like, no institution is going to invest in us right now. Maybe fund three. I wish I had a psychology degree, and I wish I was better at sales, because this would have been easier for me, just to understand that piece. But it's just getting up and going at it every day. It's just work and prospecting like crazy.
1: Absolutely. Not that much different than fundraising for a startup, right? It's It's the same thing. The the, the good connections, the numbers. I'm just curious how many. If you can, sure, if you can remember, right? Like, Oh,
0: good Lord.
1: What it, are we talking, like top of funnel here?
0: Oh, I'm probably over a thousand people at this point. I mean, it, oh. it, it. I would venture to say. And then I follow back up with some of them, but it took a lot to get to one. And the first one gave me real hope. Like it was, I got the premier first investor. And it, again, it was from a long 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 time friend and colleague and boss and just a blue chip guy on earth and so when he said yes I'm like okay I'm on to something and somebody of this caliber trusts me and I'm gonna go with that and that that's what did it and so you know, it's, it's building, it's building those relationships somehow or another, some are built faster than others. And it, I've been blessed that some of them built, were built really fast. Other ones like I've known them my entire life and they're just not comfortable doing venture. I was like, get it. It's all It's all right. Don't worry about it. But someday when I have a nice exit, they'd be like, Hey, can we get into the next one? And that's okay. We'll get there. But success it, uh, builds on
1: top of each other, right? It.
0: It does. It's slower than anyone would expect,
1: um, especially in this industry. It's a long and, feedback loop to to get there.
0: And we launched at the worst time, but we thought we were launching at the best time, which it kind of was. We didn't know that the we didn't know the Russians were going to screw up the world, and so <laughs> you know, that that's really what broke things at the beginning. But then it was, we want to do deals, and this is the best time to get into the types of companies that we want to get into. They are doing everything that needs to be done right now to help the economy get better, to help society get better, to help win wars. So we can't quit. We've got this thing. And with everything around decarbonization and climate and all that, we are in it. We can't. There's no going back. We are so far into this. We are not going back. We can be successful here. It's just going to take longer. And you had mentioned this It's typical startup approach. When I talk to startups, it's like a therapy session. They're trying to raise money. I'm trying to raise money. I'm like trying not to lose my allocations. They're like, we really want you in and. It's so frustrating to be in that situation, but it gives me motivation every time I get off the phone with them, I'm like, look, they're in the same boat I'm in and they are working even harder and I can't quit on these people. They want me because they believe in what I'm doing and They're my ability to help them. And so
1: I'm dedicated to doing that. There's no stopping yet. <laughs> I love the energy, right? It's the, it's the same hustle <laughs> mentality that the, you know, most of the founders we have on the podcast have, right? Because with them, we're debriefing a successful round with the emerging managers or we're debriefing funds that are being created. So it's an interesting duality in that end, but it's a similar story all throughout. Um, oh, yeah. I'm just curious yeah. to, to understand a little bit better as we're wrapping up this episode. You've definitely had a, a number of battles cards over the past uh, year or years, you oh, know, yeah. fundraising for this fund. If you want one or a few of some of the key insights that you now possess that you didn't in the beginning um, and things that prospective emerging managers listening to this would say, I'm not going to do that um, and learn from JP's mistake.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a a couple of things and luckily I avoided them. So I, I would just, I'll be positive about it is... Get around good people. Just be around good people. Just stay away from the shady people out there. There's some folks out there right now that are like, oh, we're going to teach you how to raise a fund. And, you know, watch us on Instagram. Stay the hell away from those people. They're positioning it completely wrong. And they're not talking about the amount of difficulty associated with doing this and the responsibility for managing other people's money. Period. I take that extremely seriously and that I am a steward of their money and I'm not just going out willy nilly trying to raise it. And anybody that just sort of looks and says, well, I'm going to go raise a fund and we're going to do this. OK, but you better have something to back it up. Now, the other thing, too, is go into this understanding that getting funding from people is is a hell of a lot harder than you could ever imagine if you are blessed to have a network of wealthy people you are substantially better off than most people are and it's just you know it's not it's not a good thing it's not a bad thing i've seen success on both sides and failures on both sides but i wish i would have had more of those when i began the journey i thought i did But then just the numbers game fell apart and i said okay now it's just getting to it and then the other piece is too is just the thought that anybody can do this you really can't i've reached that point where i feel pretty confident in my abilities to provide something of value to my lps and provide something of real value to my portfolio companies And yeah, I'm older. It took me 25 years to get to this point, but I have that confidence level and people believe in me and my team versus folks that are younger. Maybe I'm not knocking them. I'm not being ageist. You might be able to do it, but Truthfully, there's, you know, the, the, the gray hair is there for a reason. <laughs> you, know, you, you learned a lot along the way and it provides a lot of value in different things. So I would be careful about trying to jump into this too early and trying to start it on your own. I wish I would have started earlier, but not that early. When I look back, I would say that there's no way that I could have added any value to a portfolio company in my 20s at all impossible. No, nothing of any value. Late 30s would probably have been the point where I said, "Yes, I can actually do something of value for you." So, don't worry if you can't do it in your 20s. It's it, you're so much more valuable later down the road. Working for a firm, not a bad thing. It's a great thing to learn, but especially and I argue too with folks that are looking at this as generalists I'm Like, I'm just, you, you can't know everything about everything. You just can't, which is why I like why I wanted the focused approach. We can diversify in our focus which works, but you can't really do it in some of those. So I didn't like the generalist one. I thought it would have been a disservice to the investors as well as the portfolio companies. So I said, let's do what we know and then go from there, you know, and and that's, that's where I think you've got to think really, really hard about what you're trying to do. You can do this. You can do this, but you really have to think hard and you have to understand how venture works and what the expectation is. And once you realize it, you can pull the trigger or not, and
1: that's that. Absolutely. Always do your homework, right? Something that we we learn from Always. from children, but uh, and, the, it, and you're it, still it gonna pays get pays off in the in, in the adulthood of figuring out what you're really getting oh, into yeah. before jumping head first.
0: And, and and then you're gonna get then you're still gonna get kicked in the teeth. So just get yeah. ready for it. You know? It's <laughs> resiliency is a thing in this business. <laughs>
1: Indeed. I wanted to jump to the last piece of the interview, which is a quick three-part rapid fire to get a little bit of a better understanding of you as a person, outside of you as an investor and as a professional. And we love to kick this off with a simple question, which is, what do people don't know about JP Keating that they should know about
0: you? Oh, man. I don't know if we got that much time. Uh, uh, (laughs) No, no. The most unique thing that nobody really knows about me. um, So you got a lot of cool stuff in the back. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm a hiker and all that. You know, that's Mount Whitney. I love doing big hikes wherever I can. I love being out on the water. Just a general sort of outdoorsman. Most unique thing. I play the bagpipes. So no one would ever guess that one. (laughs) I've been playing since I was a kid. So uh, I got the kilt and
1: everything. (laughs) That is probably you – and know, I'll have to check with the Mark, but that's probably the most unique answer we got to this question. So uh, that's awesome. I try.
0: I try. That usually sticks me out there. One of these days, I'll show up at an event in a kilt if someone asks me to do it. But um, yeah, yeah. One of the more unique aspects of the community that I run in.
1: We'll do an in-person event for all the guests on this podcast. And I will please ask you to show up in the kilt and play the backpipes at that.
0: Done. We
1: can make that happen. <laughs> The, the second part on that is one person that you look up most to and the why behind it.
0: Oh, wow. That's a tough question. And here's how I answer it. So many people have influenced everything I have done. And it's so hard to knock it down to one person. And what I have decided to do is I think about traits, of people that I truly admired in each of these people. They were all exceptional people individually, but their traits, leadership traits, just their their resiliency, their human skills, their insights, just Every aspect of these humans is exceptional to me. Their ability to sell and persuade people or just their ability to carry on a conversation or to influence a room and just have that presence, their empathy and being just being human in so many things here because that's the key to this work. I like to distill things down to their very simple parts here. And I said, everything that we're doing here is all about people serving people. Right? Nothing gets made for machines for machines to buy. It's all of us, it's all of us humans out here doing stuff for humans. So I really like to look at traits in folks. Of course, of course I always love Richard Branson, right? If you forced me into one where I've never met Richard Branson, but I'm like this is like the style I like, but there's just some fantastic human beings that are executives and that are just workers down on a line somewhere that I learned an immense amount from. And so that's how I look at that. You know, it's, it's tough to nail down one because I, I sort of do a disservice to all those humans out there that have helped shape me over the years. And I will never be able to get through my entire list of thank you someday if I win an Academy
1: Award. But I'll try my damnedest. <laughs> Wow. So you're really going to dislike our final question, which is bringing you and all the other guests into a long-standing tradition for our firm, which is ending every meeting that we have with shout outs and gratitude towards each other or towards other people as a way to get the rest of the team aware of some amazing things that are happening at our company or with our partners or with our clients, etc. And we decided to bring this into the podcast. So every episode has now been ended with a very simple question now overlooking your fund and your career and the next part of your journey who would you like to say a thank you and send some gratitude to Uh, oh wow wow has to be one person unfortunately has to
0: be one person that's tough well man oh man one person okay i will give you my one person and I'm going to do it professionally. There's plenty of personal people out there, and he falls into personal and professional. But when it comes to business, always admired this man, and I still do, and I still talk to him to this day. It's Dennis Mullenberg, who's the former CEO of Boeing. I worked for him years ago, and I learned some of the best leadership traits from Dennis. And I learned a lot of difficult things along the journey and everything else. But from a business leadership resiliency standpoint, definitely one of the biggest influences in my career.
1: Fantastic. Would love to have him on the podcast at some point if he ends up building fund. We can probably make that happen. (laughs) Our thank you goes to you, JP. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really, really much appreciated. Great conversation. A lot of learnings and a lot of notes that we took about you and your journey and building a fund in supply chain, an area that we don't have that much experience in, but we're always curious to to learn more. So really appreciate sharing all these thoughts and insights and stories with our audience and hope to have you back on the podcast as you're raising fund two um, in a, in a few years and debrief that raise and then see how Prochain Ventures evolved from a smaller fund to a larger fund later down the line.
0: Sounds great. Sounds great. I appreciate it, Vlad. Thanks so much. Thank you.
1: What a great conversation. If you enjoyed it, make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and be on the lookout for a new episode in two weeks featuring another amazing fund manager and their story. This podcast was made possible by Flowly. If you're a fund manager, angel investor, family office, or syndicate lead who receives a lot of deals or simply wants help sorting through the noise, Create a free account today on Flowly at flowly.com, that's f-l-o-w-l-i-e.com, and get access to an AI-assisted deal screening engine and network manager that will dramatically improve how you work. Are you ready to take your investing journey to the next level and join hundreds of investors across the globe who use the platform every single day? Find the discount code in the show notes and sign up today. That's it for today's episode. See you next time.